episode 221 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 10th of March, 2023. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. How's it going? Graham. Hello. And Will. Good evening. Well, before Graham jets off for his uh, latest holiday, we'll do some discoveries. Will, calculate with a Q. This is a fancy calculator. Yeah, so I hate the GNOME calculator, and I hate the default XFCE calculator, which is the Mate calculator. So I'm kind of 80% of the calculators that are default, I hate. And it's all for the same reason, which is when I open the calculator, sometimes the default input does not go to the calculator input-y bit. So when I press the calculator button on my keyboard and start typing numbers, sometimes it doesn't work. And if I alt-tab between what I'm doing and the calculator, sometimes it doesn't work. And sometimes if I click in the window, it doesn't work. And this has annoyed me to such an extent that I went looking for a different calculator. If you search for best Linux desktop calculators on Google, the top hit was a thread on Reddit, or at least it was when I searched. And the answers to questions on there about alternative calculators were, predictably, why don't you just install Python and use NumPy? Or why don't you just do it from the command line? Which is stupid. So I carried on looking, and I found calculate. Qualculate. <laughs> and uh, it, it's, it's all right. I don't use any of the advanced functions in it yet, but as a calculator, it works. I can click in the window. It takes the focus. I can type numbers in. It works. It's got a pre-built binary for GTK and for Qt. You can install it on Windows and Mac and Linux, and it has got a whole bunch of built-in cleverness that I don't need to use, but as a normal calculator, it's easy to use. It works. And it's a much improved experience for me on the desktop. So highly recommend it. It's working well. Can I give a shout out to KRunner, the tool you get when you do Alt and F2 on KDE? Because that's the calculator I use. You know, it's like you've got that text in. Boom. Boom. (laughs) (laughs) But you could just type in loads of different maths stuff. All, all the common kinds, but also like permutations and combinatorial stuff. And it does square root and sign and it does currency conversion all just by typing into that prompt. I like it. And you don't need to pretend to click on a pretend calculator on the screen. As do I, Graham. And I think <laughs> talking to these two Neanderthals, <laughs> yeah. you're never going to get anywhere there. It's best we live in the future and them in the Stone Age. How do you do a square root on a typey anything? It's SQRT in brackets, the number. That's much easier than clicking a button. (laughs) Yeah, that's mad. I don't know what's wrong with you two. Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's funny you mentioned calculators, Will, because I don't like the calculator that you get on the Pixel 7. It's one of the last annoyances. I still can't move the clock. That's just never going to happen. But I could replace the calculator. I did quite like the calculator in Lineage. How do I get that failing on my evil Google phone? Scrub it, uh, install Lineage, and live the, live the free <laughs> land. All right. Well, I'm not going to do that because it was the same with the calendar. I didn't like that. But then I found ETAR, E-T-A-R, ETAR, something like that. So there must be some equivalent, but I just haven't been able to find it. And just this calculator is just terrible. Everything's in the wrong place, and I don't like it. So, Have you tried F-Droid's calculators? 
I had a quick look in F-Droid and I couldn't find anything that was just the same as the one I've been using for years. Just make, make sure you don't pick the app that is masquerading as a calculator, but is an emergency beacon sender. I think it's called Calculate! Exclamation <laughs> mark. Uh, okay, I probably have tried that in my <laughs> travels there. I just want the one from Lineage. How do I get that? I'm sure it's really easy, and I'm just dumb for not looking into it, but uh, someone please email in, show at lonelinux.com. Failing, nice GUI. It is a nice GUI. Thanks for asking. I hate doing web development. HTML, JavaScript can fuck off. I hate them. I hate them so much. I wish I could use Python, and it looks like I can, because this is absolutely fantastic, especially if you're trying to do sort of small, simple sites, you know, it might be turn smart lights on or God knows what. I think you might like this, Will. And it is a really pretty simple sort of interface and loads of examples and really excellent documentation and a really nice API. And it's fantastic because it's all in Python and I don't have to touch any of that nastiness. And it even essentially runs its own web server that you can then just, you know, if you want to set Nginx in front of it to take load and stuff. But I wish I'd known about this ages ago, and I'm going to retroactively try and fix some of my projects with it. It looks amazing. It's such a beautifully designed site. And if it, it's as simple as the examples imply to create that kind of UI in a web browser, then I can see it being really powerful. And the best part is the web page is written in mm. itself, mm. which is an even better example of it showing how nice it can be. What's with those three buttons on the side of the windows though <laughs> red yellow and green i don't recognize those i don't either i've never used any system that has those i do have my buttons on that side as well but they're monochromatic i've seen that it's a mac os theme for kde yeah uh, that must be it. That's yeah, what yeah, it is. Okay, right. good. yeah yeah well maybe even one for xfce who knows <laughs> graham entropy piano tuner yeah so i don't know anything about piano tuning but we do have an old, cheap, upright piano in the house and always have had. They're, they're remarkable pieces of machinery. The engineering that's gone into them, they're all 100 years old and they're heavy, heavy as hell and nobody wants them so you can get them for cheap. Tuning them, you have to pay an expert to come in and spend £100 or whatever on tuning it. And I thought I'd give it a go myself. This thing, it's not as rigid as it should be or something. Who I don't know. So it doesn't stay in tune over six months. Changes in atmospheric pressure, I don't know. And I mean, behind an upright piano, it's like a huge harp with the bass strings being really long and stretched across the height on the left and then the high-pitched strings being really tight on the right. On the left, you'll only have a single string for the bass notes. In the middle, you might get two or three or four, depending on the piano. So all tuned to the same pitch, that is, for each note. So you've got hundreds of strings for an 88-note piano, and each one of those strings has a little nut you can change, turn, just like the nut on the top of a guitar, really, although you need a key to do that. And it's not like tuning a guitar or any other instrument because it's not tuned to what we'd call chromatic pitch. Now, I'm really not an expert in this, but because the strings have different kind of vibration characteristics, depending on how tightly they're stretched, and some of those strings are very big and some of them are very small, so they don't have the same kind of physical something or other, you can't tune them with an exact interval between them because the imperfections in the strings will cause harmonic clashes. So what you do is you have to 
tune them in a weird kind of wave, which is called stretch tuning, where the octaves are stretched across one part of the tuning more than they are another one and then tightened in a little bit. It's like a big S curve on its side. I don't know what that real name for that is. So it's complicated. But this piece of software, Entropy Piano Tuner, Entropy is what it's calling this weird curve that you have to calculate per piano. So you, you start up the piano tuner, your first task is to press every single key and it'll record the pitch of every single key. So you just go through the whole 88 notes, it takes a lot of patience. And then it comes up with this curve for your piano. And that curve is what ideally each string should be tuned to. And then each note has a block on this curve and some notes will be further out of tune than others, some keys. And then you go through all of these keys and you try to get them to match the curve as closely as possible. For the keys with multiple strings, you have to find a way of just muting the strings you're not tuning and then making sure that they all correspond or tune to one another. You can do that by ear because it's just like a guitar. It takes a bit of time, takes a long time, but it's fascinating. It's quite, I found it quite relaxing. And this is open source software. If you look for proprietary solutions, they're subscription models, they're expensive, they're professional piano tuners. A piano tuner for us would cost 100 quid every six months. So this is open source. I think it's Java and it's brilliant and it worked. So I've, I have a question with two parts. One was, at what point did you regret this massively painful decision? <laughs> as in, how many strings exactly? And then the second one is, have you noticed that you've been followed by any piano tuners coming to break your fingers at any point? <laughs> is there a golden retriever outside now? <laughs> well, I have to say that my daughter likes to play the piano. And after listening to weeks and months of painfully badly tuned keys that she keeps hitting, it was worth the time investment to fix it. Is it actually perfect though, or is it still a little bit honky-tonk? I could make it perfect if I had the equipment that I've got a really cheap tuning fork and the slightest turn on those things makes it noticeably out of tune. So you get within a few cents of tuning for each one. If I spent more time on it, it would be perfect, but really it's my patience that gave in and the tools that I had available to me. But it sounds perfectly in tune there's always some kind of chorus effect from them not being in tune. It doesn't sound like honky-tonk at all. It sounds near enough perfect. It's good as when we had a tuner in to first tune it a few years ago. So when will you be motorising the tuning pegs and uh, putting a bunch <laughs> of Arduinos in there? Yeah, I did think that. It requires tonnes of torque, but it must be possible. I mean, maybe there are modern pianos that automatically tune themselves. I don't know, yeah. I thought I had exactly the same thought. Well, Gibson tried to make guitars that automatically tuned themselves in 2015. Well, actually a little bit before then, but 2015 was the big year. And now on the secondhand market, good luck trying to sell a 2015 with the robot tuners on it because they're shit. Robot <laughs> tuners. Oh my God. Yeah. So I wouldn't have much faith in that, to be honest. But if you made it yourself though. Uh, maybe. Uh, what did you use to record the initial recording? Is, is it run on the phone or what is it? I ran it on my laptop. Ah, okay. It could actually run on a phone. I'm not sure if there's a version, but I ran it on a laptop. I didn't use any. I just used the microphone on my laptop. It needs to be quiet, but it doesn't need high quality because it's pretty easy to work out the pitch. Well, it's actually available for Android on the Play Store and on the Amazon Store, on the Apple App Store, macOS, Windows Vista 7, 8, and 10, and 11, and Linux. There's a snap of it, which I presume you got. Oh, yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> or there's uh, repositories and stuff. It's very much cross-platform and GPL3, which is excellent. 
if I ever have to tune a piano, I might uh, <laughs> give this a go. But at some point, surely you have to ask yourself, how much is your time worth? And 100 quid versus like how many hours did you spend doing this? Also, how many liters of blood do you lose before you die? <laughs> I'm, and I think like a lot of people, I like to know how things work. Mm. I would do it again, but now I know. Now I know. I've got a good feel for how it works. Yeah, now I know because you did it. I'm never going to do it. <laughs> I mean, no. Yeah, I, exactly. I had an enjoyable couple of hours, honestly. I'm just weird. Have you heard of this thing called MIDI? <laughs> Instead of actually having hammers hitting strings, you can just have it all in a computer these days, you know. Oh, but it's the imperfection that makes it, though. It's what gives it the character and the very physical vibration from the wooden box. Nah, just stick it through a chorus pedal and you'll be grand. <laughs> Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late night Linux, support the show, and get $100 free credit. From their award-winning support, offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace, or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. And check out their managed MySQL, Postgres, and MongoDB databases that allow you to quickly deploy a new database and defer management tasks like configuration, managing high availability, disaster recovery, backups, and data replication. Simple and fast to deploy with secure access, their flexible plans include daily backups. So go to linode.com slash late night Linux, create a free account, and you'll get $100 in credit and support the show. That's linode.com slash late night Linux. Well, my discovery is from the old System AU Telegram channel. It's not called that anymore, but uh, that was an Australian podcast about Linux. Oh, I used to love that. The preeminent Windows RT or whatever the fact they were using every time. No, it was uh, they were the preeminent React OS podcast. Oh, React OS, that's it. Thank you. Yeah, and they had uh, Gregory doing the voiceover, all the news that's new to news and all that. Anyway, in their Telegram channel, Nick who was the host of that, posted about auto-darts. Now, what this is, is a bit of software that you connect three cameras to pointing at your dartboard, and then it works out automatically which segments you've hit with your darts. Oh, for God's sake. And, like, does all the calculations for you. Now, I am terrible at maths. I'm reasonably good at darts. And if I ever bloody move, that's been supposed to be happening for like months at this point, but I'm hopefully going to have room for a dartboard. So I'm totally going to do this. He needed to 3D print some mounts and stuff. You need one of those modern dartboards with the 360 ring of LEDs around it to give it even lighting and avoid shadows. And he said that it is about 90 something percent accurate. And there's a video that I could link to as well of someone else demonstrating it. And it gets one of them wrong, but it's pretty easy to then just change it in the software, kind of update it. No, I actually hit a treble instead of a single or whatever. And it just takes the pain out of darts, the having to do the maths and work out what you've got left and what you should be going for. And uh, it, it just is such a brilliant example of open source software that is scratching an itch. The one thing darts had gone for it, the bit of maths that you had to do, you <laughs> took that away. I'm terrible at maths. Oh, yeah, but that's why you keep repeating it and then you get better at it. I mean, it's not like it's an unending num a series of numbers that you've got on a dartboard. Jesus. If I was playing in a pub and I'd had some refreshments, this would be incredibly helpful and would really make the rest of the evening more enjoyable by just like 
lobbing darts at a dartboard and not having to <laughs> worry about all of that troublesome math stuff. I would quite enjoy this. Although the first time I read this in the doc, I read it as audio darts and I watched the video <laughs> on mute and I convinced myself that this thing could tell where the dart had landed by the sound it was making. And I was more impressed by that, I'm afraid. But it doesn't exist. No, rather than triangulating it with three cameras, which is a little bit more realistic and plausible. <laughs> well, yeah. On to a bit of admin then, but first of all, just a quick thank you to everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. If you want to join those people, you can go to latenightlinux.com support. And remember, for $10 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed that includes this show, Linux Downtime, and Linux After Dark. And do check out those shows, they're great. And if you want to get in contact with us, you can email show at latenightlinux.com. And if you want to talk to other listeners, you can go to latenightlinux.com community for all the details there. Let's do some feedback then. Rasmus said, a listener asked if the real torrent cable for Rocksmith could be used with Linux, having read that it could not. The fact of the matter is that it can be used with Linux. Distros with recent 5 plus kernels pick up the real torrent cable as a standard USB audio input device, so it pretty much works the same as any USB headset microphone you can buy. I've used it with GuitarX with Pipewire on the host system, and then GuitarX was installed via Flatpak. It uses jack and works just fine. And a couple of other people said this as well, so uh, yeah, you don't even need to buy an audio interface. I have a find I was going to associate with this, but I'm never going to build it because it's far too complicated. And it's a thing called Quinny, and it's a low-latency guitar effects thing that you can build with a bit of soldering and a screen and a Raspberry Pi, and it looks amazing. So if anybody wants a really like up-there, home-built guitar effects game, then this is definitely the way to go. Oh, this looks really cool. Yeah, it does. I just I just know it's never happening. <laughs> There's too much involved. It was bad enough trying to install GuitarX on a Pi, let alone actually soldering stuff. Yeah, I don't think I would ever get around to making it, but it does look cool nonetheless. Alex says, just wondering if you'd consider separate subscriptions for the Late Night Linux podcast so that people could support you for a lesser amount than the current $10 per month and still get one or two podcasts ad-free. Now, I have investigated this, and I think it might be possible to have different $5 tiers, maybe. So is there any interest, dear listener, in the individual shows having a $5 tier and then a $10 tier for everything? Is that just too complicated? I don't know. Let us know what you think. And Charlie has got in touch with us. She says, Given that Phelim is concerned about his Hoover murdering him as he sleeps, he might be interested in the Dust Builder and Valetudo projects. Valetudo? The first one allows the routing of many robot vacuums, while the latter installs a local first app annui that allows you to control the infernal machine. I use it happily along with Home Assistant so that my vacuum cleaner is controlled by me and me alone and not by the Russians, the Chinese or the French. <laughs> See, you all laughed at me when I said this, right? But I was looking at an issue on my network earlier this week. And then I saw both of the Hoovers, which are running. So I had to get a second one because we have two dogs. Might as well have two Hoovers at this point. One upstairs, one downstairs. The bloody thing was sending packets to my computer on port 667, which is IRC. And I thought, fucking hell, it's been looking for a command and control package here. So I started capturing it all with TCP dump, and it just seems to be sending the same thing. I imagine it's a, I'm running, I'm running. But why the fuck is it sending to my computer? I've got nothing to do with it. 
So yeah, I would love to use either of these two projects, but unfortunately my Hoover is supported by neither and it doesn't map either. So yeah, unfortunately it's a UFE something or other. And yes, Jim got in touch to say that they've been hacked and yes, it's not a camera. So at least that much. I was going to say it's not map that you know of. Well, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm going to fucking put it in a box and I'm going to analyze every single fucking wave that comes off that thing. It's probably communicate with the speaker on my PC. It's just lulling me into false security with bogus Wi-Fi packets, the bastard. Ben wrote in to say, I've heard you talk about your favorite desktops like XFCE and KDE and at length about Ubuntu, but I don't ever remember hearing you talk about Arch Linux. <laughs> I think Graham has. <laughs> hey, that's mission accomplished. I'm single-handedly trying to change attitudes to Arch. Yeah. Well, it has a reputation for being elitist just because Judd Vinet, its creator, left so much up to the user, especially the installation. But I just recently used their new guided installer, Arch Installer, and got it up and running. It's the lightest and fastest Linux distro I've ever used. Lots of software potentially available, but I'm loving the minimalism of starting with such a light OS. I literally had this as one of my discoveries. It was, what, maybe six or nine months ago? I do remember you mentioned that, all right? Yeah, it's fucking brilliant. Of course it's light. Is it not just like a kernel, systemd, and bash? Is that all that you get by default? <laughs> no, come on. You get a desktop, I think, or maybe I installed XFCE4 on top of it. I don't know. Yeah, it is minimal, definitely, and you do have to build it up, but that's the whole fucking point of Arch, is you just make your own distro out of all the latest shit. And you're telling me you don't even compile it yourself like Gen 2? Oh my God, it must be so <laughs> slow. Well, it's old hat now anyway, now that Nix OS is like the hot shit, supposedly. But uh, yeah, we have talked about Arch and Graham uses Arch to test all software out and everything all the time, don't you? Yeah, I do. And it was my daily driver for a long, long time, eight, nine years. Are you saying it's not anymore? Well, mostly actually with work, I'm mostly using Neon. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. With your three grand hypervisor M1 Mac or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, no, I'm still using my, my normal, I use a normal desktop PC for day to day work unless I'm traveling. All oh, right. Very cynically, Joe. Yeah. I use the same machine for years. I still love Arch. It is really empowering knowing what's running. Just things like setting up Hypewire and knowing you're not going to have any kind of conflict with Pulse Audio. And when you do get something to work, you, you've had to understand why it's working. I know it shouldn't always be that way, but it, it is a really interesting way to learn about Linux and, and a great way of running Plasma in particular. Well, it's a great way of running whatever you want, as long as you want the latest version of it. That seems to me the whole point of Arch is that it's for people who want the latest whatever it is that you want whether that's a desktop environment whether that's a particular application it's the first place or among the first places that you're going to get you know say the new version of audacity or whatever or or plasma or gnome or whatever it's just the sort of the the cold face as it were of open source software big shout out to the aur for being that repository of new software and also the package manager itself is pretty easy to understand if you want to build your own packages i do so i run a vm on an m1 mac and i do run into problems with the architecture not being set correctly because there's still so many aur packages that assume x86 64 often you have to go into the package and just manually change that 
So you do run into some problems in the AUR, but it's still the best repository of latest releases I've found. Isn't the AUR a bit of a Wild West, though? Yeah, it totally is. It is. But because it's so easy to, relatively easy to create packages there, you, you get things, it's better than, it's a step up from uh, building your own, you know, downloading, Git cloning, and then configuring and making in a directory. Well, Richard suggested we check out Material MK Docs for Markdown documentation generation. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And also said, I've listened to your podcast since Luddites. Wow, proper old school. And can't help but feel that Rails slash Fedora doesn't have a fair representation. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong, Richard. <laughs> but none of us use Fedora or, and Rel or CentOS or any of the clones. So we just don't talk about it because we don't have a lot of personal experience of it. That's not to say that we hate it or think it's shit or anything. Settle down, failing. <laughs> I said nothing. I said nothing. Yeah, but I could hear your thoughts. I remember. <laughs> you felt a disturbance <laughs> in the thoughts. It's, you know, it, it's totally fine. And, you know, they, they're solid distros on that side of the fence, but it's just not something that we use. So we don't really talk about it because there's not much point, really. There's nothing worse than using a distro you're not familiar with and you just feel like you're lost and you're doing things wrong and you feel like you're typing with your elbows. <laughs> I think we, we would only be spouting shite and it would be wrong. And Graham didn't talk about his CentOS <sighs> VPS that is still running like <laughs> CentOS 5 or whatever. God, you shouldn't bring that. Don't keep bringing that up. <laughs> <laughs> he just signed it. That means it's still there. Oh my God. God no, no, that's not there. We've no. got to find it. <laughs> it's not there. What a lie. There's an interesting question about the sort of news articles we read and share with each other and generally report on. They tend to be around the Ubuntu ecosystem. Now, is that because those get reported more often or is that because the algorithm is pushing those articles to us? Perhaps we should try and um, expand our minds a little bit and, and go looking for other articles, but I just don't know where to see, where, where to find them. Well, I do see quite a lot of articles about the Fedora world, but I just know that we don't have much personal interest in them. And, you know, I try and keep up with that sort of thing for professional reasons, but I don't have that much interest in running Fedora or RHEL or its clones on servers. I'm just perfectly happy in the Ubuntu world. And, you know, if I want a bit of excitement, then something like Arch for a bit of the other, as it were. But um, <laughs> it's just not something that you lot give a shit about i learned that a long time ago and stopped putting relevant <laughs> things in the show i think fair enough when you lot just said fuck all about them so sorry richard i don't think we're going to be covering much of that kind of stuff anytime soon but it's not out of any uh, malice or anything it's just the way the chips have fallen he also said, Phalium's passion for KDE is contagious. I'm giving it a go on my ThinkPad P1. And guess what? Fourth down this page, kde.org slash distributions, is a Fedora KDE spin. I can let you know how I get on with it. Well, do. Please let us know how you get on with it. And homework, homework. I want this to be done properly. I want you to point out any time that you encounter a GTK app that should be not there. Because <laughs> if it's a KDE distribution, it should be... KD apps all the way. And I genuinely mean this because I tried KD on, I don't know if it was Red Hat or what. I think it might even been pre-Fedora back then. And what put me off was the fact that every time I went to use a sysadmin tool, 
it was always a GTK app because it was, you know, trying to integrate and it felt very much like KD was a second class citizen. So I want to know, is it still a second class citizen? So there, homework. All right. And just to quickly mention Bertel's email where he talked about trying KDE Plasma after you fucking banged on about it and compared to Gnome, it was way faster, he said, and got longer battery life. Obviously. (laughs) <laughs> I, I just I was going to read the whole thing out, but I just can't take your fucking smugness, failing. <laughs> so it seems that you've got a couple of converts there. Well done. Good. I hope you're proud of yourself. I am. Good. Yeah. I hope some BSD people are questioning their life choices right now, too. <laughs> well, in terms of lightness with KDE and GNOME, you've heard of KDE. Now get ready for XFCE. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> it's like, what happened if you forgot to buy the car? Austerity 3.0. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I'm just not as good an advocate, am I? That's the problem. Bitterless. Yeah. You can taste it. He, he wants to be with us, but he can't face it. Look, man, I tried Plasma and it was fine, but XFC is better, so fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Right, well, we better get out of here then. We'll be back next week when, who knows, might be some news, might not be. We'll have to see. But until then, I've been John. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later. Bye.